Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What happens when you mix teenagers, millions of dollars, and a loaded handgun? And then we take a look at the story of a man who stabbed another man. Now, the victim was drunk, the victim was harassing a nine-year-old girl, and the victim was acting, by all accounts, extremely agitated. Normally, it would be a clear-cut case of self-defense. But, when Ed and Lorraine Warren find out about the crime, all bets are off. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. Or had a great weekend. Although I guess if you live in a t- different time zone, the weekend may still be going on. I don't know. Or maybe it's already over. Anyways, the point is, whatever you're in, whatever time or place or space you're in, dimension, whatever, hope you guys are having a great time. I'm going to start this episode off. I haven't done a Dead Rabbit Recommends in a long time. This is going to be really, really short. I just watched this movie last night. I don't know what year it came out. I think it's fairly recent. It's called Headcount. And for people who like creepypasta, for people who like, like, creepy short stories online, there's been a particular flood of a particular creature called a skinwalker. I know it has different types of names, but it's known to be a shape-shifting creature who, like, slowly learns. Like, let's say you go to a party with eight people, and it can kind of affect your brain, so eventually there's nine people there, and no one can ever remember who the ninth person is. Like, they go, no, 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 that ninth person left the house. Like, we came all the way up here with nine people. And then one person will always be like, no, I know there's only eight. There's The movie Headcount is that. The movie Headcount is this creature is summoned to this area. And it's done a little bit differently where there's ten people at the party. And the monster isn't fully human. So it doesn't act human. Basically, like, it can assume human shape and it will stand in the corner of the room or do something weird with its hand as it's, like, learning how to interact with humans. And then in the background, you see the actual human, like, playing beer pong. But we're in the living room with this group of people and this creature's, like, playing a card game. And it's... Originally, I wasn't going to recommend it because the ending was kind of cheesy. But it actually, it's been about 24 hours since I've seen it, and it stuck with me. And I actually watched a movie after it, and Headcount had me so wound up that I was watching this documentary called Kid Icarus, which is another good movie. It's about a young filmmaker making his first short film. That's a really good movie, too. But as I was watching this documentary, I was looking in the background at at other people. 
So Headcount is a really intense movie. I really recommend it. If you're a fan of the Skinwalker mythos, I would check it out. If you're a fan of good contained horror movies, I would check it out. It has some great visuals. It's creepy. It's not super scary, but it's a good flick. I would definitely recommend checking out Headcount. So that's my beginning. That's my Dead Rabbit Recommends. Let's go ahead and get started here with this episode. So this story actually just happened. This story happened on June 6th. We're in Anchorage, Alaska. And and let me say, this is all alleged. This is 100% alleged because it's such a recent thing. I actually have written in my notes, all alleged in all caps. So I don't keep saying, that person sure is guilty. They better go to the electric chair. So we're in Anchorage, Alaska. There's six teenagers in total. We have Denali, we have Cynthia, we have Caden, Caleb, and then two other juveniles who are too young to be named by the law. Denali and Cynthia are really good friends. And they'd say, let's all go hike. Let's all go on a hike together. Everyone's like, yay, let's go on this hike through Anchorage, Alaska. I don't think they wanted to like walk the Pacific Mile or whatever. They were just like, they weren't going on this grand hike. They were just going up into the wilderness for a day. Probably not even the wilderness, probably just the outskirts of town. So they're on this hike and they're just walking along. Now, there's six people on this trip, but one of them doesn't know the real purpose of the trip. At a certain point along the way, Denali pulls out a handgun and she orders the other four to tie up Cynthia. Cynthia Hoffman was 19 years old. So you can see where this is going. And after Cynthia Hoffman is completely bound up, Denali, who's only 18, pulls out a video camera and then shoots Cynthia in the back of the head. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Oh, this is all alleged. Dump her body into the river. Now... It's really hard to get away with a crime of somebody you know. It's really, really hard to kill somebody that you know. If you're going to do it, don't do it. But if you do it randomly, it's a lot harder for them to catch you. But if, you know, six people go on a hike and five come back, it doesn't take much to go, hey, where's uh, Cynthia? And they're like, oh, we don't, who? Who are you talking about? I don't know who you're talking about. That obviously won't fly. And it didn't fly for them. The cops begin looking for Cynthia because she's reported missing. They find her in the river where they dumped her body, just floating around. And they very, very quickly started arresting these teenagers. So the first question you're going to ask is, why would you kill your friend? And Denali, allegedly, allegedly, this is what's come out. Denali met a man online named Tyler. This gets creepy. Denali met a man online named Tyler, who's a millionaire. And he began talking to Denali, and he goes, I'm a millionaire, and I will pay you for some footage. And Denali's like, okay, well, what footage do you want? And he goes, I want some child porn. So first off, this guy online is asking her to start producing some child porn for him. And she does that. She produces two videos where she's molesting, like, younger people. And then he goes, oh, that's all well and good. But what I really want is I want to see a video of you killing somebody. I'll pay you $9 million for that footage. So at this point, allegedly, Denali's eyes popped out with little dollar signs on them, and her tongue's like, (laughs) you know, like, I'm trying to make this part as lighthearted as possible. It's involving some pretty heavy subjects. Anyway, so Denali turns into a cartoon character, and her eyes are like, ching And she hatches this plan, and she tells these four other kids, if you help me, Kill Cynthia, I will give you part of my $9 million. Now, obviously, I think you know where this is going. So, 
she gets caught. Her friends get caught. They go. She starts telling them about Tyler. They look on the computer. They find the child porn she made. The police find Tyler. And his name's not Tyler. His name is Darren Schillmiller. Darren Schillmiller. Only 21. So here we have this range of people from 21 to probably about, we don't know how, we don't know how young the youngest people are involved, but we have Denali's 18, Caden and Caleb are probably around the same age, and then two other juveniles. So we're going to say probably like 15, because I think they can start naming them around 16 or something like that. But, and Darren's 21, and they're all in jail now. Darren's getting ready to be extradited to Alaska for this trial. They're both facing life. For not only, uh, Denali's facing life for the murder and the production, I think 20 years for the production of child pornography. And I don't know what Darren's being charged with, but he'll definitely be charged with the child porn charges, and they may charge him as an accessory before the fact of a murder or whatever. But I remember reading that article and I'm thinking, what a bizarre, like, it's almost just a comedy of errors. The internet has allowed us to access people all over the globe, but it's also allowed idiots to access other idiots and cause like a foolish tsunami. Like Darren in his own hometown wouldn't have been able to convince somebody to do this. And Denali wouldn't have been tricked by anyone in her hometown either that they would pay her $9 million to murder somebody. Obviously, both these people are extremely broken in some way. One, to want to watch that video footage and entice and willingly lead someone down the path, entice them to murder. And the other person... It probably didn't allegedly take much for her. Like, if someone came up to me and says, I'll give you $9 million if you show video of you killing someone, I'll be like, no. That that trade-off's not good enough for me. But, you know, these people are facing life in prison, and there's video footage, and there's evidence, and all these other people. It's just a weird story. But And it's just, one again, another one of those ways that the internet gets more, seems like more and more like a cursed object every single day. Allows me to do a podcast, but... I don't know if that, I actually, I don't think that trade-off, that trade-off's not worth it. If it's going to allow effects like this to happen to affect people, then, you know. Well, that's the end of that story. That that was a great segue, Jason. That's why you're such a genius podcaster, because you come up with those brilliant segues. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, next story is really interesting, and it's one of those stories that's interesting on a few different levels. One, let, let me just go ahead and get into it. Okay. The year is 1981. And we're in the town of Brookfield, Connecticut. Brookfield, Connecticut, tiny little town. I don't know. It might be a normal size or a big town, but it's a town in Connecticut. February 16th, 1981, two days after Valentine's Day. A lot of people had a lot of fun on Valentine's Day, but now their hearts are broken. And they're, you know, you here's a tip. Here's a tip for you guys. Never buy the girl, the giant teddy bear. Girls hate the giant teddy bear. Girls loathe the giant teddy bear. The only people who ever buy girls' giant teddy bear, and I'm talking like human-sized teddy bears, teddy bears that you could cut the stuffing out of and wear as a suit for Halloween, those giant... Women hate those. I think at some point, every guy has purchased a girl a giant teddy bear because we see it in movies. But don't do it because now they have... Generally, the only people who do buy it are people that guy... They usually get them from guys that they don't like. And I'll admit, I made that mistake. I bought a giant teddy bear for a girl who wasn't into me. And now they have actually, now let me segue again, that's actually a perfect gift to buy someone you don't like. Because what you're doing is you're gifting them 200 pounds of foam and fur that they don't know what to do with. 
They don't want to throw it away because that seems rude. But they can't, there's no place they can put it. So if you don't like a girl, if you want to get back at a girl, buy her a giant teddy bear. But don't, guys, do not buy girls giant teddy bears. I actually don't buy girls anything. I very, very, very rarely buy flowers. I don't even buy chocolates, none of that stuff. I'll buy candies for friends. If I'm dating you, that's that's your that's your gift. That's a gift that keeps on giving. Don't don't if you can get away with it, don't buy him anything. But if you do have to buy him something, don't buy him a giant teddy bear. That segue that that rant had nothing to do with anything else. It's just a rant. February sixteenth, nineteen eighty one. We're introduced to Debbie. Debbie's sister Wanda. Debbie's nine year old cousin, Mary, and Arn. So we'll get into Arn. Well, okay, so Arn's, Arn's a complicated fellow, but Debbie, Wanda, Mary, and Arn are all hanging out together on this day. Debbie works at a grooming clinic. They all go to her job. Now, Debbie's boss is named Alan, and Alan says, hey, you know what? Let's go out to, let's go out to a bar. Let's go get drinks. Now, remember, this, this party includes a nine-year-old girl. There's, there's so many weird details in the story. 100% true, though. Well, at least this part is. 100% true. Alan goes, let's go out to a bar. So after they all get sloshed and the nine-year-old girl's like, give me another milk. And the bartender's like, I'm done. You're calling it. You're 86. And she's like, oh, she's fighting the bouncers and the nine-year-old girl. They go back to the grooming shop. And while they're at the grooming shop, the girls say, let's go get pizza. And I'm thinking, weren't they just at a bar? Now, if I was reading this on any other website than the websites I read it on, which was like Wikipedia and then a website specifically about this criminal case, I would think, are they just making stuff up? But no, this was all revealed in in court. So they go out to a bar, they get hammered, then they come back to the grooming shop, and then the girls say, let's go get some pizza, which maybe it's to soak up the alcohol, but still, like, why don't you just order stuff at the bar? Anyways, the girls go to get pizza. And while they're there, they leave Arn with Alan. And Debbie starts thinking, you know what? That probably wasn't a good idea. Let's hurry up and eat this pizza. Let's, and then, you know, get our drinks refilled and have a salad bar. And, you know, maybe we'll order some Sundays. But anyways, after a certain point, they do decide to leave the pizza parlor. They got like 100 tickets. They're like looking for stuff to get. Debbie's like, oh, wait, I forgot. A horrible tragedy is coming up. They leave the pizza parlor. They go back to the grooming shop. And Alan is totally drunk. Six sheets to the wind. He's a louse. Hey, I love you, man. I love you, Arn. I love you. And he starts get acting weird. Now, Arn is already a little agitated himself. But when Alan grabs Mary, because the girls have come back now, they're bringing a giant teddy bear that they won at the pizza parlor. The little girl is walking around. Mary's walking around. Alan grabs the little girl and won't let her go. He's totally drunk. He's now assaulting a little girl. Not violently, but still, I mean, you're grabbing someone, they want to leave, and you're not letting them go. And Arn starts being like, let the girl go, man. Let the girl go. And Alan's like, never, never let her. But eventually, Alan does let her go, because he's like, ah, whatever. (laughs) I'll just let her go. At that point, they're still saying that Alan is very agitated, but Arn starts growling and then barking like a dog. Pulls out a five-centimeter blade, little pocket knife, and begins stabbing Arn violently eventually killing him. Arn flees the scene of the crime, is arrested by the police. Now, you can imagine Arn sitting in a jail cell and telling that story to a defense lawyer. And the defense lawyer goes, oh, this is going to be open and shut. It's self-defense. I mean, 
You have a little girl who was being assaulted. You had a guy who was drunk and being belligerent. You had um, one of his employees, Debbie, thought there was such a problem that she left the pizza parlor, quote-unquote, early to come back because she thought it would be a problem. We have him grabbing a nine-year-old girl and not letting her go until you guys beg for him to let him go, and then he's just acting agitated. And you have the knife in your pocket. It's not like you had to go home or go to Home Depot to buy one. Like, it was a instinctual act. You acted in the defense of yourself and others around you. Who knows what he would have done if he hadn't done that? Open and shut case, self-defense were totally fine. And then, just as Arn is about to agree that that's a great case, that's a great way, Ed and Lorraine Warren bust through the door and go, the devil made him do it. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren, quick overview if you don't know, they're the ones that are featured in the Conjuring movies. They are world-renowned psychic investigators. They are world-famous for this type of stuff. I think they investigated Amityville Horror. She's the psychic investigator. She sees visions, and she communicates with ghosts, and she talked to Bigfoot. We talked about that in an earlier episode. Ed Warren is basically the guy who drives her around. He's basically, like, she has all the mystical powers. He's the dude who's basically like, ah, just get in the car, honey. I like to think that Ed Warren was a total skeptic and didn't believe any of this stuff, but his wife was hot and really good in bed, so he just humored her. Like all good husbands do. It's like when a woman's like, oh, I want to do scrapbooking. And the husband's like, that sounds like a great hobby, honey. You know it's a waste of time and money, but you're not going to tell her that. And if she can make money scrapbooking, all the better. So if your wife's like, I can see ghosts. I can see the demons walking through the yard. You'd just be like, oh yeah, honey, sure. It's perfect. At least you're not scrapbooking. So that is my version of the Warrens. Probably not that accurate, but... He probably believed in all this malarkey as well. But anyways, so how did they get involved in this case? So in 1980, we're going to meet Debbie's son, David. David and Debbie move into this house. They rented this new place. And I got really confused about how Arn knew these people because he just kind of seemed to pop in and out of the story, almost like an Urkel character. He just kind of showed up halfway through, but apparently he's... Her fiancé, Debbie's fiancé, so David's stepdad, whatever, soon-to-be stepdad. So Debbie, Arn, and David get this rental property. And this is so funny. So David's there. He's kind of cleaning stuff up, and he's like, I don't want to clean up. And then this old man approaches him, right? This old man appears out of nowhere. And begins, like, pushing David and, like, knocking him down. David's, like, trying to stand up. And this old man's, like, putting him down. Be like, you gotta leave, kid. You gotta leave. Go away. Go away. And David's like, oh, man, get off of me, dude. And he's pushing. Nobody sees this happen. But David runs to his mom and says, I don't want to live here. I was just working, cleaning up my room. And an old man came into my room and started beating me up. And Debbie and Arn's response is, quit making up stories. We know you don't want to clean stuff up. Quit being lazy. Go back in that room where you may or may not have been assaulted by an old man and finish cleaning up. Like, they assume that he's just being lazy when the kid's like, some stranger just came in and assaulted me. So they totally don't pay attention to this kid, which I found absolutely... Talk about a soul-crushing experience. You're like, yeah, you don't want to do it, but you're like cleaning up your bedroom and an old man climbs through the window and just totally just like beats you up. And then you crawl out and you're like... Mom, I got beat up. And they're like, go to your... That's so bizarre. They just totally brushed that off. But they moved into the house. 
And they started hearing creepy noises in the attic. And David's like, it's the old man. It's the old man in the attic. He wants us to leave. And they're like, listen, we know you hate the place, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. There's no old man. The kids, they're finding like Ovaltine all around the house. They're finding dentures. And he's like, no, look at this is old man stuff. So David starts having nightmares, which is a given. He's being assaulted by a man no one else can see. He starts acting weird. He starts barking. And then after all of that stuff, finally what clues Debbie and Arn that something's going on, he's appearing with scratch and bruises. After all that other paranormal stuff, finally he comes home with a scratch and they're like, it's a ghost. So they end up calling some priests to come and do an exorcism on the home. And they also call up the Warrens. Now, the Warrens, I've talked a little bit about them earlier, but I want to take another note out. They've been criticized for being, like, looking for cash cows. They've been criticized for looking for people with whom or from whom to make money. I find it very suspicious that first you call up the priest in your area, and then your second phone call is to the most famous psychic investigator and her husband at the time. So, it could have been some sort of financial thing in there. We'll get to that in a bit, but... They call up the exorcists. They call up Warren. This has been only 12 days since the old man first appeared to David and started, like, wrestling him in his bedroom. Lorraine shows up and she goes, Oh my God, I see something. I see a black mist standing behind your son. (laughs) Ned's just kind of rolling his eyes. He's like, oh, again with the black mist. Nothing's ever original with you, Lorraine. So she says there's an evil entity following the boy around. And she said, this is, again, one of the stories that she's watching in her psychic mind, i.e. her imagination, she's seen David get beaten up, and then David's like, oh, and he, like, takes his shirt off and he's covered in bruises. And Lorraine's like, that's weird, that's what I just imagined in my head, was you getting punched, then a bruise showing up. So they basically are like, okay, we've got to do an exorcism on this kid. For some reason, they come to the conclusion he's possessed with 43 demons, 43 demons in this little boy. And they're saying he's growling and he's hissing and he's reciting Bible verses. I mean, passages from Paradise Lost. I mean, there's no verification of any of that. But anyway, so I I was reading this one article and they go, how would an 11-year-old boy know about... Did I say how old he was earlier? How would an 11-year-old boy know passages from Paradise Lost? And I thought, how, how would an adult know passages from Paradise Lost? Like, if someone could come up to me and start quoting Paradise Lost and I'd be like, what? What are you talking about? If someone could come up to me and go, truly, this was a paradise lost, I'd be like, what is that? Is that from an episode of Transformers? I don't get the reference. Yes, an 11-year-old kid may not know a quote from Paradise Lost, but most humans wouldn't. So I think it's a made-up detail. I think that detail is just made up to make it more scary. So Ed and Lorraine Warren and the local priests end up exercising the boy of these demons. And then on their way out of town, basically... Lorraine calls up the police, the local police, and say, this might end badly. So keep an eye on that family. And the reason why she had her suspicions was, tell me if this isn't the biggest boneheaded move ever. Let's say that you believe, I believe in demons, and I believe in demonic possession and stuff like that. Maybe this kid was possessed. I don't know. He may have been possessed, and some of the details are made up. Well, actually, we'll get to that at the ending, because this story has a real interesting twist to the ending. No, it's not that it was all a dream. So... She called, this is the dumbest thing possible. So you're standing in a room where your stepson, your soon-to-be stepson, is possessed by demons. 43 of them. 
And he's like, blah, blah, Paradise Lost quote, Paradise Lost quote, blah. And Arn starts challenging the demons to a fight. Being like, hey, knuckleheads, why don't you come and take on a real man? What, you tired of, you can't fight someone your own size? Why don't you come over here? I'll give you a one-two. And Lorraine Warren's like looking at him like, what are you, this kid's floating five feet off the bed. There's five priests here throwing holy water at him, and you're sitting there mouthing off. But he did. Arn was like, yeah, man, come on. Why don't you go? Let's go, bro, let's go. And (laughs) basically... Lorraine Warren, she called up the police and said, something bad might happen in this family because we were doing this exorcist and Arn was mouthing off to the demons and one of them may have left the boy and gone into Arn. Any, I can just imagine the cop getting that phone call and just being like, okay, ma'am, you have a nice day too. Click. You'd be like, who, who, what, what world do you live in where you get phone calls like, I guess police probably do get crazy phone calls like that. But... He ends up saying, yes, I got possessed by a demon, and it was kind of in control of me, but apparently there was a haunted well. They ended up moving out of the rental property after all that, but apparently there was also on this spooky, spooky rental property, there was a spooky, spooky haunted well. And he says he walked to the well one night all by himself after this exorcism, and a demon rose out of the well, and they looked eye to eye, and he goes, after that, I really don't remember much. Like, I was fully possessed after that point, which is a good way to get out of credit card debt. Because then you could be like, hey, I didn't buy all that stuff. I was demonically possessed. And you think that's you think that's a stupid joke. But that's basically what happened. Because after he kills Alan, the Warrens come back and they go, the devil made him do it. He was possessed by a demon. And he they go to the family. They go to Debbie and this family. And they go, listen, we are going to prove in a court of law that he is possessed by a demon. We're going to get these exorcists from Europe. We're going to get all these high... We're going to subpoena the priests who were at the original exorcism to say that he was doing this stuff. We're going to get all these experts from around the globe to prove that the reason why he went out of control and stabbed that guy to death was he was possessed by a demon. And you can imagine the family saying it would be much easier self-defense. And Warren's like, no, 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 no. You're only looking at half the picture here. Because when we prove that he was demonically possessed, not only will he be innocent, not only will he not go to prison, book deals, movie deals, we'll have writers come out here. I know that's not as big as the book deals and movie deals. I just ran out of stuff to list. We will have cash coming in. This can be the next Amityville. And Debbie goes, you mean the next big hoax? And the Warrens are like, whoa, no, 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 no. Allegedly a hoax. Allegedly a hoax. But so the family and the defense lawyer do decide to go with the, the defense, the devil made me do it. The plea, the official plea was plea of not guilty by virtue of possession. And they go before the judge, and the judge says, no, absolutely not. His, he quote, he said that, that he ruled that it was irrelative and unscientific. That you could not ever prove someone was possessed, therefore you can't use it as an argument in a court of law. So then. The defense lawyer goes, okay, self-defense. They have the trial, and there's a 15-hour deliberation. He's found guilty. First-degree manslaughter. He's sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, but ends up only serving five and is back out. They did have a movie come out. Tell me if this doesn't sound amazing. I need to find this movie. It's called The Demon Murder Case. That's a pretty generic title, but it stars Kevin Bacon and Andy Griffith. Um, that's the original Conjuring. That's like the prequel to the Conjuring universe. That sounds absolutely amazing. A book came out called The Devil in Connecticut. Big hit. Not like a super big hit, but, you know, it was relatively big. Family didn't get a ton of money for it, but they got some. 
And the Warrens got some money. So it definitely was a money-making venture. A man lost his life, but that was almost, that wasn't part of the plan. But what's an interesting twist to the end of the story? In 2006, they reprint the book, The Devil in Connecticut, which makes sense because now all the, the Warren stuff is getting big again. I think that's around when the Amityville horror came out or the a Haunting of Connecticut and all that stuff. is getting Horror movies are getting big again. They reprinted the book, The Devil in Connecticut. David, the boy who was originally possessed by the 43 demons, and his brother came forward and said, nah, none of it was true. It's totally fake. That book actually is libelous, and it's an infringement on our privacy. Because they were kids when this book was written, so they couldn't sign any contracts. But now jump ahead of 2006, they're adults, they're working their professional lives, and all of a sudden their buddies are like, hey bro, heard you had 43 demons in you. <laughs> like they're sitting at the water cooler, and now they're being reminded of this made-up event that happened 20, 30 years earlier. So they sue. Now the family breaks in half because Arn is out of prison and he does interviews. He did like he was on a Discovery show, a Discovery Channel show, talking about this particular case. So he's out there talking about it. The boys, though, the young kids are like, no, it was all fake. The older people are like, they just want their cut of the money and they're not getting they don't not getting part of the hoax money. I mean, the the, the ghost money is what I meant to say. And eventually in 2016. It was settled out of court, so we don't know how... They probably just gave the kids some money to shut them up. So half the family says, totally fake, never happened. It was a total cash cow. We got ripped off by the Warrens. We were sold a bill of goods, and we went down this path, this legal path, and it didn't work out. And the other half of the family... So you have David, the original possessee, saying it was totally fake. And then you have Arn, the guy who was challenging a demon to a fight and lost, saying it's real bizarre story. Totally bizarre story. Now, you could say that the kid was too young to really know what was going on, or that he was possessed. Maybe there's one more demon in him, the demon of doubt and skepticism floating around in him. He turns to the camera, and his eyes are like, ha, 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 Not his eyes are laughing, but they, like, gleam. He's like, ah, gotcha. But it's most likely that it was a hoax, and even an 11-year-old boy realized that people were lying around him. And, and, you know, he probably was just like, ah, I'm just, maybe he made a, maybe he didn't want to clean up. He made up the story about the old man, and then he just kept digging the hole deeper and deeper, and then eventually he realized that his lies had already created a monster. A monster of an old man that ended up resulting in the death of another man. You, it, it's such an, I think the story's so interesting because it's one of the stories that really blends the paranormal with the real world. Was there really a demon of an old man running around this house, pushing kids, keeping them from doing their chores? Which, that sounds like a great Disney Channel movie. But, was that really happening? Did the kid make it up because he didn't want to do his chores, and then the story just got out of hand? And right when he's here, they're like, hey, remember that whole thing with that demon jumping out of your body? And David's like playing Nintendo, he's like, oh yeah, that was a hilarious joke. And they're like, yeah, I guess it went in Arn, and he just stabbed a man to death, and you just dropped the controller. If it was a hoax that got out, if it was a hoax that got out of hand and ended up with a man getting murdered because another man thought he was possessed by a demon that came out of a haunted well. If there was no old man ghost, no haunted well, no demons, just a little kid who told a story that just got out of control, and then another dude just kind of bumbles into that story. 
And is like, yo, yo, dude, ghost, fight me, fight me, demon, fight me. And David's laying on the bed pretending he's possessed. And he's thinking, Arn, you idiot, there's nothing here. And then that guy, that Arn guy, ends up murdering another guy while he's growling, being like, I'm possessed by the devil, I'm possessed by the devil. There's very few, if that, if that is what happened, which is kind of my read on the situation. Allegedly, I don't know, I don't, don't sue me, guys, but... If that is what happened, the kid just made the story up and it spiraled out of control, this might be the worst example of the boy who cried wolf. Is that, would that be it? The boy saying there's a demon, there's a demon? And no, I guess it would be the opposite of it. This might be the worst example of someone telling a lie and keep going along with the joke until it's not funny anymore, until someone's bleeding out in their place of business. And if Arn honestly believed that a demon was inside of him, He may have been more prone to act out like that. He may have thought, this guy's making me really angry and he's doing something that I don't like. And normally, as a normal adult, I would leave the scene with this nine-year-old girl and my girlfriend and my girlfriend's sister and call the police and let them handle this. Because the situation was diffused. Alan let go of the girl. Everyone can just leave. But... If I believed there was a demon inside of me, if I believed the beast was inside of me, anything's possible. Sometimes the lies we tell ourselves to excuse our decisions can take control of us more than any demon can. To this day, Arn still believes that he was possessed by a demon. That it wasn't self-defense, it wasn't some sort of mental breakdown, it wasn't a child's trick gone wrong, that a demon actually entered his body. So, in his mind, he never killed Alan. Something else did. Which begs the question, if Alan is right, where's the demon now? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. At DeadRabbitRadio is our Twitter now. Same Twitter, like if you're a current follower, you'll be fine. But from now on, it's at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.